Well, good morning, 930 crowd. It's so good to have you guys back with us at 9.30, and uh, so excited to uh, be with you this morning. As you know, at the 11 o'clock, we are uh, recognizing teachers. We're going to be praying for teachers. I just want to invite you, uh, since you probably won't be there, to, uh, to be praying for our teachers, our administrators, the support staff, our lunchroom teams, our uh, maintenance teams, our custodial teams, everyone that makes our bus drivers, everyone that makes school happen. And, uh, and I know we're two days into it, and I know teachers have been back for a, a little bit, but, but we want to continue to pray for them and lift them up. And I want to invite you outside as you leave uh, on, the, on the glass uh, windows to the sides of each of the, of the doors, um, there are prayer requests from our teachers from Floyd County. And so at opening day, we got a table there, and we invited all of the teachers to share any prayer requests they might have. And, uh, and many of them did. And so I invite you maybe just to look at one or two or three of those prayer requests and just stop and pause and maybe just pray and pray for them and pray for those things that are on our teachers' hearts. And uh, so today we are continuing in the, our series on Daniel and fo uh, following God in Babylon. And, uh, and, and I was thinking about this. It's easy to think about this this week as uh, there's no place like home, right? Like we remember Dorothy saying that in The Wizard of Oz and, and a lot of us when we go on vacations, like we can't wait for vacation, but then there's this thing about us that we can't wait to get home. And uh, so maybe like a week into it or five days into it, you're like, man, I miss my bed, I miss my, my pets, I miss, my, I miss my, my house, I miss my bathroom or whatever it is. And, and we often find ourselves saying, there's no place like home. Like regardless of how many uh, years I've lived somewhere else, my home will always be Brandon, Florida. That when people ask, where are you from? I always say, I'm from Brandon, Florida. And uh, it's home. It's where I am. There's no place like home. That's what I call home. And in the book of Daniel, as we travel through Daniel chapter 9, there is this really interesting thing going on in this, in this chapter. And there's this young man named Daniel who's a teenager that, has, uh, that had lived maybe the first uh, 16 to 18 years of his life in Jerusalem. That was home. That was what he called home. But because of the sin of the nation of Israel, he was plucked out of his home and he now lives in the city called Babylon under the rule of one of the mightiest kings in the entire world. And he lived there for 67 years. But the funny thing is, if you ask Daniel, where was he from? He would tell you, I'm from Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and he was not a Babylonian. He was a kid from Jerusalem. And he wanted to go back home. And he missed home. And in many, and as many years as I will live in Kentucky, I'll, I'm not a Kentuckian, right? I'm a Floridian. And, uh, and as fascinating thing happens in Daniel chapter 9, is that about after 67 years of being away from home, Daniel comes to the realization that he may be able to return home soon. And it begins in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along or the Bible app, the Version Bible app. And here's what it says. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, we don't know how Daniel got a hold of the scriptures living in Babylon, but uh, we do know that he was familiar with the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet before him, and Jeremiah kept telling the people of God, he kept saying to them that they needed to repent or 
they would be taken captive. And, and the people, as often as Israelites did, they refused to listen. And eventually, Jeremiah told them, they said, listen, y'all, your sin is too deep. And it's not going to work out well for you. And he said, y'all better start packing your bags because you are going to go into exile for 70 years. And God speaks through Jeremiah. And he speaks through Jeremiah in such a way that he gives hope to Daniel in the midst of all the chaos. That Daniel is familiar with what the prophet Jeremiah said, and he's familiar with his words and those words that Jeremiah spoke, the promises that God gave to Jeremiah to give to the Israelites is what gave him hope. And you remember last week, we looked at the anchor verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God said, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. You remember that? And so in these scriptures, we fast forward now, and Daniel, 67 years later, he's refreshing his mind. He's remembering what Jeremiah has said, and he's going, oh my goodness. He's like, we're getting ready to head home. Like, I've been here 67 years. It's almost been 70 years. The time is about up. There's no place like home. Now, tradition says that Daniel ended up dying in Babylon, and he was never able to go back home. But there are people, important people, like Ezra and Nehemiah, who were able to return to the land and restore Jerusalem. So the question is, for us today, is what does Daniel do? Like, what does Daniel do? How does he respond when he reads God's word and he recognizes and realizes and sees that something is about to happen? Does he just sit back and wait? Or does he do something else? Well, let's find out what he does in verse 3. And so he's recognizing, he's remembering Jeremiah, he's remembering Jeremiah 29, 11. He's remembering the promise that God made that the people of Israel will be in captivity for 70 years and then return home. And here's what he says in verse three. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition and in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel, he doesn't sit back and like, well, I'm just gonna wait on the promises of God but he prays. And in the following verses after verse three are some of the most powerful verses of the, one of the most famous prayers in the entire Bible. And it's one of the most important prayers for us to see as a template for how we should be praying confidently moving forward. You know, this next weekend on Saturday, we're gonna have a prayer gathering here in the morning and, and we're going to gather together at nine o'clock and we're going to pray and what would it be like for us to discover how to pray confidently to God? Well, today we're going to look at that and I wonder how are your prayers right now? How is your prayer life? Like if we were to sit down and have coffee and talk about your prayer life, what would be some words that you would use to describe your prayer life? Would you say that you pray confidently, believing that God listens to your prayers? Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm not sure, like I've prayed before and God hasn't answered and, and I don't know, I'm like, I'm, I, I, my, my prayer life isn't very uh, confident right now. You see, many have prayed and many have asked God for something in the past, we've done that, and perhaps because it wasn't answered the way that you had hoped or wanted, maybe you've lost a little confidence 
and the power of prayer. And if that's you, let me just tell you that this morning's uh, passage or message is, is for you. Because we're calling this series, Daniel, Following God in Babylon. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important things, one of the most significant things that we need while following God in Babylon. And it's the ability to pray confident prayers. So just ask yourself, how's my prayer life? Like, how would I describe it? Is it confident? Is it weak? Is it non-existent? What's my prayer life look like? After Daniel discovered that the exile was almost over, here's what he does. He turns to God to pray. He doesn't just pray. It says he fasts. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he prays confidently. And his prayer was answered in incredible ways. And soon after he prayed, the Jews returned home. So I think it's really important for us. I think it's very important for us to look at these verses in Daniel chapter 9 and to ask the question, what made this prayer so powerful? What made this prayer so special? Especially, especially if you have lost confidence in your prayer life. So you see, Daniel was not just a man of integrity. We've talked about that. He wasn't just a man of courage. He wasn't just a man of resolve and humility. He also was a man who was devoted to prayer. As a matter of fact, it was his prayer life that landed him in the lion's den, right? And it was his prayer life that got him out of the lion's den. It was his prayer life that was the key that led the nation of Israel back to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile. And I'd love to be able to pray some prayers like this one. Like I would love to be able to pray with the confidence that Daniel had in his prayer life. And so what made it? What made his prayer life so powerful? What made this prayer specifically such a powerful prayer? Well, it starts with this. Powerful prayer begins with knowing what God's word promises. Powerful prayer begins with knowing what God's word promises. And I would venture to guess this, that if you have lost confidence in prayer, it's because you prayed not knowing the promises that God has for you. And you asked for something that didn't turn out the way that you wanted. And one of the things I think that we need to understand, and I think this is so important, is what caused Daniel to begin praying was this, that he was confident. He was confident in God's promises that he found in the scriptures. Daniel believed in Jeremiah 29, 11. He believed that God's promise was that the people of Israel would be in exile for 70 years, but then they would return because God said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. You see, Daniel knew the scriptures well. He knew that this moment was predicted in the book of Deuteronomy. A thousand years before he even prayed this prayer, Daniel knew the scriptures. He knew that in order for the people to get back and to enter back into the land, that the people of Israel and people like him would need to pray. That they would need to pray confidently 
and they needed to pray for restoration. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1, and here's uh, what Moses said. He said, when all these blessings and curses that I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations from where he has scattered you. See, this was a promise. This was a promise that was laid out a thousand years before Daniel even comes on the scene. But he knew he knew the words of Moses, and he sees the specific time frame from the book of Jeremiah, and he knows that here's what he must begin to do. He must begin to pray. And he's praying because he knows that the people of Israel have drifted away from God, and that resulted in a mess. Not just any mess, but a really hot mess. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you find yourself, that you think uh, that, that you have drifted from God, that you have lost confidence in your prayer life, that your prayer life has disappeared, and you haven't been spending time with God. So I think that this prayer that we're about to read uh, is specifically for all of us that are in that space, all of us that maybe we just don't have the confidence we used to in praying. And you see, the nation of Israel... And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And the people were scattered all over the Babylonian empire. And you may feel that way today. Like you may resonate with that. You may say, you know what? I get that because I feel that I've strayed away from God. I feel like I have scattered. That you're in a place right now where you feel distant from God. And the choices that you have made, and if we're going to be honest, the choices that you have made have resulted and consequences that, well, to be real, they were self-inflicted. The consequences that you're dealing with are because of the choices that you made. And because of the choices that you made, you feel far from God. See, this was the situation with Israel. And what we're going to see in this prayer is this is what Daniel is saying. He's saying, God, this is on us. Like, we put ourselves in this position. You are righteous. You are holy. And we, we were not. Like we made selfish decisions. And because of that, we are in this mess. And this is a, such a powerful prayer for us. Because just as God promised the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy these words, just like God promised that if you return to me, I will restore you and I will have mercy on you and I will gather you back up. He promises the same thing for you and for me. That God says to us, listen, I will restore you. I will have mercy on you. I will gather you back in my presence if you will return to me. So four quick things this morning about Daniel's prayer that speak to us as we answer the question, what are the promises in God's word that helped me pray confidently. And I would encourage you to write these four things down. And here's number, the first thing. It begins in verse four. And verse four says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
And the first thing that we see in this prayer, the first idea that I think that we need to understand is that we praise God knowing that we are loved by him. That's how we begin our prayer, by praising God because we know that we are loved by him. And how often, though, do we pray, when we pray, do we go straight to asking God for what we want or what we need? Like how often do we start our prayers, dear God, bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me. Like how often do we begin our prayers jumping right into the ask, right? And that's not what Daniel does. And I love the rhythm that we see here and how Daniel begins his prayers. He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to begin my prayer by, asking, by praising God. And I can, pray that comp- I can pray that confidently because I know that I'm loved by God. I'm not going to start with the ask. I'm not going to start with my wish list. But I'm going to start my prayer by praising God for who he is. And knowing that he loves me. How often do we begin our prayers that way? How often do we start by praising God for who he is? That's what Daniel did. He said, you are the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with those of love, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel doesn't start by saying, God, help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me, save me, save me, save me. He starts by saying, God, you are so awesome. You are so amazing. You are beyond the English dictionary. There is no word to describe just how phenomenal you are. You are an awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. You see, that's what you can do confidently no matter what. Like every time we enter into prayer, it should begin by praising God. And maybe you've given up on God because maybe you, don't, you feel like he didn't come through in the past when you needed an answer to prayer. And listen, we don't need to understand why prayers aren't answered the way we want. We don't need to understand when it's confusing and we don't see the whole picture Our faith needs to be anchored in the fact that we have a God that loves us no matter what. And we need to hold on to that promise. Even Jesus did that when he taught the disciples to pray. And he said this, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see, powerful prayers always begin with praise. Jesus was praising God the Father. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Your name is great. Your name is above all names. And that's how powerful prayers begin because we recognize that we have a great and awesome God who loves us. But then Daniel goes on to the second most important part of this prayer, And he didn't go straight into asking again for what he had hoped to see down the road. He praises God, and then he doesn't just go, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me, bless me, bless me, bless me. But here's how he begins. Look in verses 5 through 11. He says, God, we've sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. 
We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, and even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Look, look at all the different ways that Daniel describes how you and I draw away from God. We have sinned. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. We have not listened to you. We have not obeyed. We have not kept your commandments. We refuse to obey you. You see, the greatest part of this prayer, and I think the most predominant, and if you read it, it's the largest section of this prayer, and it's all about confession. It's all about this moment of repentance that Daniel, on the behalf of all the people of Israel, is confessing, Lord, we screwed up. We messed up. We ignored you. We disobeyed you. We chose not to follow you. And when you and I, when we feel far from God and when maybe we're resisting him and maybe it has resulted in us making a mess of our lives, there is only, there's not only need for praise knowing that God loves us, but we need to take some time to be able to say, hey God, I have screwed up and I have sinned. You see, that's the second part of every powerful prayer. The second part is we need to repent of our sins knowing that God will forgive them. So we're praising God. God, you're awesome. You're above all things. You're so big. You're so amazing. You're so great. And Lord, I've screwed up. I've messed up. I've sinned. I repent of my sin knowing the promise that you will forgive me. I love what the Apostle John says in 1 John in the New Testament. He says that when there is uh, sin in our lives, right? He's talking about sin. He says when there's sin in our lives, our fellowship with God is not what it should be. We're disjointed. We're disconnected. Our fellowship with God is disconnected when there's sin in our lives. Why? Because God is perfect and he can't be in the presence of sin. And so when there's sin in our lives, we're disconnected from God. And he goes on, John says, the apostle John says, if we say that we have not sinned, so John's like, listen, y'all, if you think you're perfect and you think you haven't sinned, he goes, well, you're a bunch of liars. Like, doesn't that feel good? Like, listen, if you say that you don't have any sin in your life, like I got nothing to confess, he's like, you're a liar. And we're only lying to ourselves. But then he says this, and I love this about 1 John. He says, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's a promise. If we are faithful and just, or if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I want to share with you today that there is nothing that you have done that is outside of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Like, isn't that good news? 
Like it scares me that some of you are sitting in those seats today or watching online and you're saying, but what I have done is unforgivable. God could never forgive me. I can't even bring myself to bring that before him. But the Bible is crystal clear that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is bigger than all of our sin. All of our sin. And we can come before God and we confess our sins knowing that the promise of the word is that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And one of the most important things that you can do is to go to Jesus and say, listen, I have sinned, Lord. I have screwed up. Will you forgive me? And the result is that he will forgive you because that's the promise. You see, we can't praise him. We can praise, I mean, we can praise him with the promise of knowing that he loves us and we can repent of our sins knowing that there's a promise of forgiveness because of his grace and his mercy. And then there's this next part of the prayer, the third part of this powerful prayer. And this is where Daniel actually begins to ask God for something. But Daniel's ask is still not, bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me. That's not the ask. Let's read in verse 17. It says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, whose sake is it for? For God's sake. Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Daniel's basically saying, God, we've made a mess of all of this, and I pray that you will restore it. Will you come and restore Jerusalem? He goes on in verse 18, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. So what should I ask for in a prayer that is powerful? Well, number three, we need to ask God to take our mess and make good from it. Daniel's saying, it's on us. The reason that Jerusalem is destroyed is because of us, but God, would you make good on our mess? Would you restore it? And the law of rewards and consequences say that every time God tells us to do or to not to do something, it's because he has a loving motivation behind it. He tells us to do something or not to do something because he wants to provide something better or protect us from something harmful. He does it because he loves us. But in the do not do somethings, in the moments where God says, don't do that, we often think that the reason he tells us not to do something is because he's keeping us from something. Like we often uh, rationalize it in our brain and say, well, the only reason God's telling us not to do something is because it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And he doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to do anything amazing. And the law of, of rewards and consequences tells us that when we go to disobey God, the reason we do is because the immediate benefits of disobedience far outweigh the consequences in the moment. Then we're like, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but man, it's going to be really good. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to, you talk yourself into it. Sometimes you don't even have to talk yourself into it. You just do it. But sometimes you're like, man, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm, I think I'm going to do it because it's going to be immediate. Like, I'm going to receive some immediate uh, good stuff or benefits from it. And when there's a temptation, I mean, you know this, when there's a temptation right in front of us, 
The reason it's so tempting is because the benefits or the, or the rewards are immediate. The rewards are immediate, but the consequences are often delayed. You want that new car. Well, I can't really afford that new car, but I really want that new car. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm jumping in. I'm doing it because I can get to drive my new car. And so the rewards are immediate, but then the consequences of, oh, I can't pay my electric bill because I got that car payment. They're delayed. And so we do it all the time when temptations are right in front of us. And that's how Israel got into the mess that they're in. They entered into the immediate benefits that came with being disobedient towards God. But the consequences were delayed. And maybe you're there right now. And what Daniel is praying is that we need to ask God to take our mess and to make good from it. To take the decisions that we've made that led to a destination that we're not happy with and say, God, I screwed up, I messed up, I sinned, I made a bad decision. Would you take this and turn it into something good? And I love in 2 Corinthians when it says that when we go through all these trials and afflictions, there is a God that will comfort us is what it says in all of our circumstances. But it says why? Why does the God comfort us in all of our circumstances so that we may turn around and comfort others? And one of the most powerful prayers that I can pray is, God, take my mess, take my pain, take my failures, and turn them into opportunities to be a blessing to others. Like, let me take my consequences, the things that I have done, my screw-ups, and let me turn them into something good for someone else so that when someone else is walking down that path, I can say, listen, I've been down that path. You don't want to go down that path. Here's the consequences for going down that path. How do I know? Because I experience those consequences. So take my screw-ups, take my mess-ups, and turn them into something good so that they might be a blessing for someone else. And so often we come to this ask section, and we predominantly, we're asking for like health and wealth. Again, we're like, bless me, bless me, bless me. Save me, save me, save me. Help me, help me, help me. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those are good things to pray because God wants to hear our hearts, but there's no promises attached to those. Health and wealth. And that's why you've gotten frustrated in the past because you spend your time praying for things that are not promised in God's word and we've lost confidence. But there is an ask that you can pray confidently every time. And it's simply, God, take the mess in my life and transform me. Take the mess and transform me. That's what Daniel asked. God, he said, the desolation in Jerusalem, I just ask that you send us back so that we can clean it up. Use us so that we can make much of you. And then there's the last part in verse 19. And here's what Daniel says again. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. You see, Daniel ends his prayer with this idea of yielding. And Lord, he says, forgive for your sake, for your sake, for your name, so that your name may be made known because your city and your people bear your name. So the fourth and final part of a powerful prayer, I think, is this, that we must yield to God's plan because it's designed to make the most of him. We must yield to God's plan because it's designed to make the most of him. You see, Daniel recognized that when I ask for something, I need to follow up with a yield saying, 
Your will be done, Lord, for your glory. I'm asking this, but God, I want your will to be done so that you may be made known. Why? Because Israel existed and my life exists and Warehouse Church exists for one reason, for God's glory. We need to get that down in our own lives. We need to recognize I don't exist for Rick Connor. Like, I don't exist for my name. I don't exist so people can know me. I exist for God's glory. Warehouse Church, it doesn't exist so that these folks up here can sing. It doesn't exist so that we can have our name on a banner. It exists for one reason. It exists for the glory of God. We anchor our faith to the goodness and the love of God, recognizing that he knows what's best for us better than we do. Your life will be so much better if you will own that phrase, if you will come to the realization that God knows what's best for you better than you do. I told you last week, that's my anchor verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. God knows what's best for Rick better than Rick knows what's best for Rick. So I'm gonna submit my life to him. To come to a place like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said this. He said, hey, Father, there's this cup in front of me. I really don't want to drink it. Like, I really don't want to take it. It's going to be painful. He knew that the cross was in front of him. He's like, I, I, if, if at all possible, can you take this cup from me, please? But then Jesus said something very important some words that we need to recognize in our own language. He says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is like, it's not about me. I know I gotta go to the cross. I don't really wanna do it. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be more than I can bear. So if at all possible, would you take that from me? But then he says, but God, the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And what brought the greatest glory to God and to all of mankind was for Jesus to go to the cross, right? Because it was the will of the Father and because the glory of God was made known because Jesus not only went to the cross and people looked at the cross and they're like, they didn't get it. They didn't understand what it meant. It didn't make any sense to them. Why would Jesus have to go to the cross? How can he uh, bring his kingdom? How can he usher his kingdom in if he's dead? But then on the third day, what happened? Jesus rose from the dead and he changed the history of the world and God's glory was made known 2,000 years later. And it continues to be known. And it will continue to be known long after we are gone. And so I want to encourage you that in the midst of your asking, don't forget to yield. Don't forget to say, but God, you know what's best for me better than I do. I don't want to experience what I'm experiencing, but not my will, but your will be done. Remember the cross, but remember that the cross was followed by the empty tomb. And the same is true for us. Our understanding of it may not, all, may not be clear. Why God answers his, our prayers in the way that he does, it may not uh, be clear to us. It may not even happen in our lifetime, but we do know that there is a God who answers prayers and we pray to him confidently and we praise him because we know that he is a loving God and he knows what's best for us better 
than we do. So what would it be like? What would it be like if we committed to pray this way that Daniel prayed? If we, continue, if we committed to praying uh, the pray way, if you will? What if we were people that praised the loving God every day? What if we praised our loving God every day? What if we began our prayer lives instead of saying, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me, bless me, bless me, bless me. We began by saying, God, you are greater than all things. You are bigger than the, the things that I'm facing. You are an amazing God, a forgiving God, a loving God. And we spent time praising God. And that we came to repent of our sins. Like remember what 1 John said, if he says, if you don't have any sin, well, you're just fooling yourself. And what if we came before the Lord and we praised him, knowing that he loved us, and then we repented of our sin, knowing that he promised to forgive us, and that we would ask, that then we would come to the ask, but it wouldn't always be, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me, bless me, bless me, bless me. That we would ask God that he would take care of the mess of our life, and that he would use it for his good. And then finally, that we would learn to yield to God's plan for our life. God, I don't understand where I'm at, why I'm at, where I'm at. But God, you know what's best for me better than I do. And I'm going to yield to your will rather than my wants and desires. God, you've got a plan and I'm trusting you and I'm believing you. And I'm believing in your plan for my life. And so I'm yielding my will to your will. What if we did this? Why don't you just try it for the week? Like just five minutes a day, just write the words pray on a piece of paper and began your prayer by saying, God, I praise you for being so amazing. Like some of you are really good at that. For me, this is the biggest part. I struggle with that. Like I struggle with coming up with words to describe how amazing God is. But maybe just start with praising and then say, you know what? I got some junk in my trunk. I got some stuff in my life that I need your forgiveness. And so God, I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness knowing that you promise that you will forgive. And then, and only then, will I ask, help me, help me, help me. Save me, save me, save me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. But finally, I'm going to end with this. But God, if you've got a better way, if you've got a better plan, I want to do what you want. Because at the end of the day, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and bringing your glory in my space so that I can be in your presence, so that those around me can experience your presence. Not my will. Listen, church, prayer is not something that we can just haphazardly do. Prayer is not an afterthought. Prayer is not something, well, I'm just, I prayed for my food today, like I did that. That's not what prayer is. If we are going to be a people of God that prays powerful prayers, why not follow in the footsteps of Daniel and praise God and repent and ask and yield and see if God doesn't transform your life and the lives of people around you. Just try it. Just try it for the next seven days. Let's come back next week renewed and refreshed and excited because we are praying confidently 
knowing that God hears our prayers. Let's pray now. God, you are good. You are great. You are amazing. You are awesome. You are beyond my comprehension. And Lord, I stand before you knowing that I have sinned, that I have fallen short, I've messed up. God, I ask your forgiveness for the stuff in my life, knowing that, Lord, your promise is that you will forgive me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness, even when I don't deserve it. Father, I ask now, Lord, that you would take all of our lives in this community right here. You take all of our mess and you would make it good so that our lives would be transformed, so that our community would be transformed. But God, more than anything, so that you would be glorified right here in Eastern Kentucky. But Father, at the end of the day, we want what you want. We want the desires of our hearts to be the desire of your heart. So, Lord, we say with all the confidence, not our will, but your will be done in this place today. Father, if there's someone in this room, I know that your will is for every one of us to receive salvation. So if there's someone in here today who has never yielded their life to you, who has never surrendered their life to you, that today would be that day that today would be the day that they would say, yes, Lord. That today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, come and be my Lord and my Savior. Come and rescue me. Come and save me. Come and forgive me. And if that's you today, just, just shout out to God. Just pray, God, would you allow Jesus to come into my life, to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin and to set me on a course that would bring glory to you. Come into my life today because I promise you, if that's you, that is God's will for your life right now to become a child of Him. And for the rest of us, Lord, we, I pray, I'm asking that we would be better at praying confident prayers, powerful, confident prayers, that our prayer life would be transformed in the days ahead, because we're praising you, we're repenting, we're asking, and we're yielding. In your name we pray, amen. As we sing our closing song, maybe you want to just come and start practicing today. Maybe you want to come up and spend some time praising God, or maybe you want to come up and spend some time repenting, or maybe you want to come up and just say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I want to invite you to come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right there on the front row, but let's all stand together and let's sing as we close out.